before was you, Anthony, wasn't it? So, oh, well, have you been um, out to Tenham Sands? Yeah, when was it? I don't know. A year ago, two years ago, five years ago? Definitely sometime in the last 10 years, but I don't know exactly when. And I don't know if I'm the only person in the room who kind of thinks like that. I can remember seasons, but I find it really difficult to remember exactly when we did that. I can remember being single, and I know I've been married for 38 years because, you know, the, 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 the date of my, my wedding is in my diary. I know that. Uh, on that basis, I know when I was single. I can figure that out because I've got a specific date. Uh, I can remember not having children. And, you know, the, the joy of that season and then the joy of having children. You know, you have babies, then you have little ones, then you have teenagers, then they leave you. And, uh, and the joy of that season. Every season has its own joys, right? The joy of grandkids, the joy of, uh, of moving from one season to the next. And, and, and I think that seasons give the illusion of time, but time is an elusive concept. We, we find it very difficult to nail time and to put it into a box. When you're talking with someone about circumstances and seasons that have gone past. Um, if we have a, a negative experience, we can tend to determine that or define that as a waste of time. If we have a positive experience, we can think, well, that was time well utilized. Time that uh, has benefited us and has benefited our future. I, I want to talk to you today for a little bit anyway about the changing of seasons. Um, this is in, very pertinent to me right now. I'm going to tell you a little bit about the changing seasons of my own life and what's brought this about. But uh, I, I want to talk to you about the changing seasons of your life and about decisions and moving forward into God's plans and into God's purposes. How many know some changes are easy? Um, for example, you have a favorite coffee shop and another coffee shop opens and it's closer and easier to get a car park. So you think to yourself, oh, I'll stop on and try, try out that place. And you go in and you have a coffee there and it tastes better than the other place. And so you think, you know, rather than going there, I'm going to go here. Easy change. You know, you go to a certain supermarket, but then there's a development close to your house and there's a supermarket there. You think, well, it's closer than the other one. It's more convenient, so I'm going to change. I'm not going to go there now. I'm going to go here. It's an easy change. It doesn't really mess with the equilibrium it doesn't mess with the rhythms of life you barely notice it they are relatively easy changes but then in life how many know there are changes that are hard there are changes that are the result of what you depended on what you lent on what you uh, put your hope on that is no longer there maybe you had a trusted colleague um, you know I've been speaking to Many pastor uh, friends of mine over the years who had trusted colleagues um, in their team. And one day, uh, they did something that they never thought they would do. <laughs> and they thought to themselves, who is this person? What, what, what is this about? And all of a sudden, this person who they lent on, this person whom they trusted in, this person who they hoped on was completely gone maybe they were physically still there but the person they thought didn't turn out to be the person they were 
and there was change, change in the dynamic of the team, change in the church. And we've probably all experienced that at some level or another, I think. You know, we, we just depended on that keyboard player being there every Sunday, but now all of a sudden they've gone to the church down the road or we depended on this person and now for whatever reason they're upset with us or, or uh, their marriage fell apart or whatever the situation might be and now things have got to change. You've all been there, right? Uh, this change is not a result of a more convenient option. <laughs> this change is hard. This change is thrust upon us. Um, it might have been a loved one that was, uh, you know, a mentor to you, somebody who you lent on and loved with all your heart and just the passing of time and they're gone now. And, and there, there's a grief associated with change. Uh, and that grief... It's not just something you feel when your mother and your father pass away and move on or when a loved one um, you know, meets the end of their life. It can happen when, when there's loss of any type, an expectation. I was talking to my daughter only a couple of months ago and, and she got married in, in England and uh, we couldn't be there. And of course, she was at her two sisters. We got three girls. She was the youngest and she's been married now for three months. And... Um, and she was at the, obviously at the wedding of her two older siblings and, you know, part of the wedding party and part of all the celebrations and, you know, the bridesmaid stuff and all the, you know, all the stuff that goes on around the day and all the excitement and you brides will know what I'm talking about and you fathers of the brides will know how much it costs. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, and, and so she was looking for, uh, no doubt, I mean, you know, and my day will come, my day will come. And her day came and we weren't even there. Because we couldn't get there. And dad couldn't walk in any eye. I'll go for all and start to cry if I keep talking about it. But you know what I'm saying? I said to, I said to her, I said, Mel, I said, you know, um, this is an expectation that's gone begging. This is life. And what we've got to learn to do is we've got to learn to grieve and move on. We can't live in regret, right? But neither can we live in denial. You can't live not ex- acknowledging the fact that something that was important is gone right? But once it's gone, you then go through the stages of grief. You lean into the grief of that. You lean into the disappointment. You feel it. You don't try to explain it away. You don't try to faith it away. You don't try to pray it away. You pray into it because it's, it's healthy. It's part of what and who we are. And then you go through the, the denial and you know all the stages of grief when something that you relied on or something major expectation has been taken away from you, there is a time to grieve. And we mustn't deny ourselves the time to grieve. And I was talking to my daughter. I said, you've got to grieve this, darling, because this is a genuine loss. There's no papering over it. There's no saying, oh, well, it doesn't matter. It does matter, and it's sad. It's loss. And it's, it's, it's our sad COVID story, and I'm sure you've got your sad COVID story, Right? But we can't deny it. We can't pretend it's not there. We can't pray it away. We can't faith it away. We've got to lean into it. We've got to grieve it. But once we've grieved it, we've got to move on because we can't live in regret. There's no point living in regret. You've got to face the situation, deal with the situation, and move on through the situation. Because sometimes when... Um, change is forced upon you by circumstances beyond your control, by the actions of another, you know, or by, you know, um, by a world pandemic or whatever the circumstance. 
might happen to be. You can, it can leave you losing your, your certainty, your confidence, and in some cases, frankly, even your identity. Um, Jeremiah 29.11 is, is a verse that you all know pretty well, and you've all got it probably plastered somewhere around your house on a plaque or on a letterhead or something, but I'll read it to you for what it's worth because it's, it's really important. It says this. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Sometimes it feels like you've been harmed, doesn't it? <laughs> Frankly. Sometimes it feels like the vision has been harmed. Sometimes it feels like the church has been harmed. So, sometimes it feels like your family's been harmed. Yet, yet he says, um, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. God has a hope-filled future for your tomorrows. We must never lose sight of this. We must never lose hope. God is the God of all hope, and in Him there is no hopelessness at all. Romans says this, God is the God of all hope. Now, I'm going to move in my, to my tomorrow, no matter what happens. But sometimes, my future is a little bit more elusive. I have to choose this hope-filled future that God has got for me. There is a difference between tomorrow and your future. You're going to experience tomorrow no matter what you do. I mean, you can get lost down the rabbit hole of social media. You can hide under the doona, as our Prime Minister says. You can, you know, binge on Netflix. You can uh, play Fortnite for the next six months or do whatever you like, and tomorrow's going to come, right? You, you can... You can Occupy yourself with entertainment and still experience tomorrow. But your future is more elusive than this. For some people, it's like Groundhog Day. You know, it's like every day is the same as yesterday. We just experience another tomorrow. We just experience another, another thing. And life's a series of these Groundhog Day this experiences that are the same as yesterday's. And you can have a thousand tomorrows and not be one day closer to your future. So how do we move into this future, this hope-filled future that God promises us, is the question that I want to wrestle with this morning. I want to suggest that it takes a resilient heart and courageous decisions. Um, when we see a verse like this that says God wants to give us a hope in the future, I think our natural inclination is to say, well, okay, God, give us a roadmap. How do I get there? Uh, well, what's the pathway? I'm here now. Uh, I've, you've got this hope-filled future, right? When we talk about a hope-filled future, it's, it's a future filled with expectation, something that would bring joy to our hearts. That's the, that's the plane that we want to exist on. That's the place we want to arrive at, right? Am I right? Everybody wants that? So how do we get there from here, Lord? Give us the roadmap. Show us the way. And unfortunately, God seldom gives us a clear roadmap. But what he does give us, and what I hope you leave uh, here today with, is something absolutely crystal clear. God gives us something absolutely crystal clear on how to get there. You see, you may not know exactly what decision to make at each juncture, at each crossroad, at each turn in life. But God does tell us and he shows us what the ingredients of those decisions should be. 
What are the materials that make up those decisions? See, if you're paralyzed by fear, if you're afraid of what tomorrow and the world might do to you, if you're trying to find ways to truncate or to mitigate risk and to uh, make your tomorrows as, as, as risk-free as possible, you're probably being motivated by fear and doubt. And fear and doubt, may take, you may experience tomorrow, but you will not experience your future. There are 365 fear knots in the Bible. Did you know that? 365. That's one for each day of the year. <laughs> and the reason why God knew that you needed one for each day of the year is because every day you're making decisions that will either take you to your hope-filled future or allow you just to experience another tomorrow. And He wanted you to experience the hope-filled future. That's why He tells us constantly to fear not. To fear not. If you're paralyzed by doubt and if you're paralyzed by fear, you'll finish up making decisions that will keep you locked into your yesterdays. You'll have a, you'll have a series of yesterdays and you'll never experience the future. You see, your present, what we have right now, is either a grave, it'll either bury you, or it's a womb. It will give birth to your future. So how do we make it a womb? How do we make it something that gives birth to something that's going to live on as opposed to a grave uh, uh, somewhere where we just bury yesterday? Well, the sage in Proverbs 24, 14 says this, and we get a bit more insight. He says, also know that wisdom is like honey for you. Proverbs 24, 14, if you're writing this down, this is important. Wisdom is like honey for you. If you find it, there is a, here's our words, future hope for you. There is the future and the hope, and your hope will not be cut off. So what can we derive from this? We can derive that if we want to arrive at our future, then the decisions we make today must be based on wisdom. Well, that's obvious, right? You make wise decisions, they will take you to your hope-filled future. The ingredients of these decisions must be wisdom. But what does that look like? Everybody in the room wants their hope-filled future. Everybody in the room wants to move forward in wisdom. How do we know it's wisdom? The Apostle Paul, I believe, answers this question for us. The Apostle Paul, who is wise beyond his peers, his writings surpass almost the writings, I think, of just about any other author in human history. Um, they are read every day by billions of people around the world 2,000 years after they were written. I think we'd all agree that the Apostle Paul was a man of incredible intellect, a man of great wisdom, and a man of vast experience. And he makes this concise statement. He says this. Um, it's found in Galatians 5.6, if you want to take the note. Galatians 5.6. You will want to write this down, by the way. Uh, he says, the only thing that counts. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? The, the only thing that counts. There's a lot of things that count in life, isn't there? Right, Howard? The only thing that counts. If I was to ask Howie, what counts? I'd still say he'd say, well, my daughter counts. <laughs> I would think, right? My wife counts. Family counts. Uh, you know, what, what counts? Well, the church counts. Sure. Well, can you say there's only one thing that counts? 
maybe if you're a dog owner, well, my dog counts. I mean, if you are going to write a statement and determine there's only one thing that counts, remember, if it counts, it matters. You count what matters. There's only one thing that matters. What do you reckon it would be? Don't look it up. <laughs> I'll see what he says. <laughs> what do you reckon it would be? Have a think for a moment. If there's only one thing that counts, don't you think it should be inscribed on the fleshy tablets of our heart? Shouldn't we know if there's only one thing that counts, what that thing was? Did you know that Paul said there's only one thing that counts? And you were sitting here thinking, well, well what is it? <laughs> well, you tell us and stop building the tension for crying out loud. <laughs> I'll tell you. Here it is. There's only one thing that counts. Here it is. Is faith expressing itself through love. There it is. Faith expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. Here's the conclusion. What are the ingredients of the decisions that are going to take us into our future? The ingredients are faith and love. Faith and love. Is there faith and is there love? You've got to ask this question right now. In the circumstances of my church, no matter what has happened over the last six months, 12 months, whatever, what does love require of me now? Wrestle that question to the ground and you'll know what wisdom demands. Follow that through with action and you'll finish up in your hope-filled future. What does love require of me now? John said, God is love. See, you need to stop worrying about, oh, was it the right thing? Was it the wrong thing? Oh, I don't know. Did I make the right call? Should have I done this? Should have I done that? Stop worrying about the decisions you make, right? And start putting some thought into the ingredients that made those decisions. Where did those decisions come from? I'll tell you what love requires. What love requires will always manifest itself in courage. It will never manifest itself in self-protection. It won't be a backward step. It will always be a step of faith. Um, all love, you might want to write this down. All love is courage. There is no exception. Zero. None. All love is courage. Not all courage is love. You can be courageous without coming from a place of love. But you cannot... You cannot perform an act of love without it coinciding with its, its, its partner here, faith. The, the, those two things must work together. You say to me, on what basis do you make that statement? And I would respond to you by simply saying the cross. The cross is the greatest act of love humanity has ever seen. Um. Did you know that the number one icon in the world, recognizable icon in the world, is not the, the Nike swoosh or the Coke dynamic ribbon? It's the cross. It's the number one uh, iconic image in the world is the image of faith and love. Because when he, there is no more vulnerable stance than this, is there? 
No? If I'm shaping you up, if you and I are going to take it on, Howie, right? I'm like this, right? I, I'm sort of getting ready to, to be, be, be whacked and getting ready to whack, right? So, so that, that's, a, that's a position of self-defense. That's a defensive position. This is a decision of t- total and utter vulnerability. You can push me. You can slap me. The cross is the ultimate symbol of faith and love. And the cross is the manifestation of all wisdom. Think about it for a minute. I mean, how was God ever going to deal with forgiveness and with justice and, and, and with uh, um, uh, having people you know, pay the price for their sin and, and yet showing the love that was in his heart? I mean, the cross was a genius, wasn't it? The cross is the manifestation of wisdom. The cross is where justice and mercy meet. You could never bring justice and mercy together in any other form. The cross is the ultimate manifestation of wisdom. Correct? Right. Remember we said a moment ago, where does the hope-filled future lie? It lies by making decisions based on wisdom. What is wisdom? The cross. And what is the cross? The cross was Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, not my will but yours. I will take the step of faith to show the ultimate love of God to the world. You see that? So you know when you move forward, you make the decision based upon faith and love. I'm not, I, I, I'm not going to put the wagons in a circle. I'm not just going to protect myself. I'm going to put myself out there. This is not going to be easy for me. I, I have other options, but I choose to take the vulnerable option because I'm being motivated not for self-protection. I'm being motivated by love. How many know that um, there, are, there are forces out there that kind of think that the world is... Um, Moved and determined by fate. You know, it's the will of whoever, the will of God or whatever, and you just can't do anything about it. We, we are not of that persuasion. Jesus says, your faith is, be it on you. And I know there's going to be um, tough times come. And I know there's going to be storms on the horizon. And I know life's not going to go smoothly for me or for you. That is why you and I, need to right now make sure the decisions that we're making today are motivated by faith and love. Because if we can do it in the easier times, then when the tough times come, we're there to be able to make those right decisions. If you think you can make self-centered, self-protective decisions now, when things are going well, then, then, then when the storms come and when the, 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 uh, the, uh, you know, the, the world is shaking, what are you going to do? That's because you taught yourself that way. That's the way you're going to go. That's why God puts faith and puts love into your heart. See, um, um, Paul said uh, in Philippians, work out what God has worked in. Right? So God's filled you with love. He's filled you with faith. Now you've got to work it out. How do you work it out? By making decisions coming from that place. And you make decisions coming from that place in the easy times. So when the tough times come, that's where the decisions come from. Not from self-protection. Not from a sense of, um, of uh, I, I want to, you know, um, somehow try to cover uh, my, my options here. Um, God took Abraham out 
and he said to him, look into the, this is in Genesis 15, you all know this, look into the sky and count the stars. And it's so interesting because we equate stars, don't we, with, um, with fate. Um, you, you get the newspaper tomorrow, you know, and there'll be a, a bit a section there for the stars. <laughs> and you think, oh, I can read the stars and I can see what, what my tomorrows will bring. And uh, you might see what your tomorrows will bring, but you won't read your future there, right? Because <laughs> your future is not in the stars in the sense it's not in fate. But what God's doing to Abraham here, he's saying, your future is not in, in the stars. I want you to see the stars. And of course, in those days, there was no artificial light. There was no, uh, no pollution. There would have been a mist of stars lighting the, the night sky. He wouldn't have been able to count them. And he, what he's doing is filling Abraham with faith. He's saying, see that there? That's what your descendants are going to look like. And I don't know whether Abraham saw little faces and little hands waving back, his children, his children's children, and his children's children's children or whatever. But, but God was showing Abraham that this is faith. I'm going to call you to move by faith. And through you, the nations of the world will be blessed. This is an action of love. This is not an action of self-preservation. You're going to leave the place of comfort. You're going to believe everything. You're going to leave everything you know. You're going to move into a place of the unknown for the sake of the generations that you've not yet seen. Faith and love. We've seen um, the devastation of our country in, in recent times, economically speaking, in many other senses. And if you ever think to yourself, God, how, how am I going to get through this? God, you know, how am I going to return to normal? Am I going to? You're thinking too small. You're thinking self-preservation. You're not thinking faith and love. See, I, I love what Psalm 102 verse 18 says. This it says, this is written for future generations, that people not yet created will be able to praise the Lord. Abraham moved out not just for his generation. He did it for his children and for his children's children and people who are not yet born will be able to praise the Lord. And you are writing history. You are writing history every day by the decisions that you make. History is not just something that happened at a particular occasion or a particular place. History unfolds every day by the natural decisions that men and women make. You are writing history. And your history doesn't end when you move off. Simply someone else takes up the pen and continues to write on the page. And what we are doing, folks, what we are doing is we are writing a history for a group of people who are yet to be born on the earth. And we want to bring those people into a place of faith. We want to bring those people into a place of love, right? So this is the time for us to rise up in courage. This is for a time for us to choose hope over despair. This is a time for us to choose faith over fear and love over self-protection and stand upon the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus stepped into time and space so that we wouldn't be trapped in either. <laughs> he stepped into time so that time wouldn't keep me in some kind of prison, some kind of grave. The future is there for me, and the future is there for you. Simply waiting for us to move out in faith and love. God places faith and love into our hearts. Um, we've made some big decisions of recent times, as some of you probably would be aware of. 
And we've been part of our church now. I've been part of Centro Church for 40 years. We've been leading it for 26 years, on staff there for 35 years. And my wife's been a part of it since she was 12. <laughs> and uh, I won't tell you how old she is, but she's a little older than me. Uh, not a lot. <laughs> and so we've, we've made a big decision. And, well, where does the decision come from? Why are we doing this? Well, I believe it's come from a place of faith and love. We, we, we've prayed it through. We're not running from anything. We're not, you know, we're not facing a major crisis in our church by any stretch of the imagination at all. Everything is going swimmingly. Sure, we've had the COVID thing, but I, you know, I've got to tell you, we came back strong from that. Financially, we didn't, you know, we, we, we didn't falter for, for a week. And we've come back strong. And, you know, obviously, uh, I mean, I'll tell you the story. Um, this decision was made in March this year, and we were going to announce it sort of like July and sort of replace ourselves and have our farewell about now, really, <laughs> and be gone. But then COVID struck, and, uh, and, you know, all of a sudden all your plans have blown out the window. And so we couldn't, I said to, to Alan Davies, who's the current head of ACCI, I said, I'm not going to announce my resignation after 35 years online, sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and he said, that wouldn't be fair on the church or you, of course not. And so, so he said, we'll just wait and you guys just let us. Because we didn't know when it was going to end, obviously. And anyhow, so about mid-end of July, you know, we started gathering back and we had to sort of, um, uh, you know, get everybody back. <laughs> I wasn't going to announce it the first week back. Everybody come back to church. Oh, by the way, I'm out. Uh, <laughs> so we had to get everybody back. And then once everybody was back, you know, I, I, um, I'd been sort of positioning um, Tim Spark for some time. I hadn't ever spoken to him. Uh, I know some of you know him quite well, but he had no idea. And the reason I had never spoken to him is because I'd seen pastors speak their successes years out in the past, and it's never gone well because uh, circumstances have changed. And, you know, this guy thought he was going to get it. And it's funny how quickly when you tell someone that, you know, they're, they're going to have the seat, how quickly their attitude changes and uh, it's all good it's all good and uh and so we didn't actually meet with him and and cat until early september and tell them hey listen we're out we want to recommend you as our replacements and as i said we've been exposing the various things over the years in preparation take about five years but i didn't want to become i didn't want to formalize anything until i had dates so i could say and that's when this is going to happen so it took me till um, the first week of September before I, I had that in place. And then I, uh, and, and, I, and he didn't say yes for a while. <laughs> he was a bit dumbstruck. Was, oh, oh. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll pray about it. In fact, the funny thing is, we, we went on holidays, Brent Sam and I. And uh, I said to her about a week later, was he contacting us to say yes? I can't remember. What was the detail? What was the arrangements again? <laughs> I knew it from him. Um, but within a couple of days, he texted and said, yeah, he was in. It was all good. And then so we got back and we met with various board members. And then we you know, met with various groups within the church. And finally, towards the end of October, we were in a position to make it public. We were not in a position to make it public before that date, let me assure you. Um, and then these things will, will, will transpire over the course of the next few months now as we transition things and, and put things in place. It's going to take several months to, to see this happen. But it, uh, the point is... Uh, there are now dates in place and things are officially rolling in.
big, the big rocks have, uh, have almost all been moved. Not quite, but almost all been moved. And, uh, and then we're moving into a new season for ourselves. And it's a season, I have to say, that I'm really excited about. And I'll tell you why I'm excited about it, if I can. Um, see, I believe that God has placed on the ACC in Australia a very specific blessing. We, you have to admit that we are incredibly blessed. We are blessed as a movement. We have seen incredible growth. We have more people meeting than any other group of churches in Australia outside the Catholics on any given Sunday. Um, we, we, we have uh, seen growth and, you know, this church here has put on this ex- building programs. So we are in an incredible position of blessing. And every time God blesses, He always blesses for a reason, doesn't He? There's only one, that's to be a blessing. You're never blessed to be blessed. You're always blessed to be a blessing. So I'm, I'm of the absolute conviction that the culture, that the leadership, that the spirit God has placed on the ACC um, needs to, if it could be bottled and exported to every, uh, you know, every place of the planet, it would only benefit. If, if there was a, an ACC church within a walking distance of every man on the planet, it would only benefit the kingdom. Because there is an incredible anointing and incredible blessing upon this particular movement. And so I, I'm so excited that I'm, I get to sit down with a, with a group of pastors and leaders and missionaries and figure out how we achieve this. Uh, I'm, I'm incredibly thankful to Pastor Alan Davies for the battles that he's fought and the missions uh, office and, and establishment that he's put in place. But I honestly believe that, that Alan has fought many battles and gran- won much ground for me. And now it's time for me to build. And so I'm moving into this with incredible faith in my heart that we are going to see a generation of ACC believers released upon the world (laughs) and that uh, the world will never be the same again. And what I want to do and what I'm committed to doing, and I need you to hear this because this will indeed, I hope, end up with you, pastor, and me having a coffee between sometime between now and, and I don't know when, because I don't take up this role till July next year if it can wait that long. Uh, <laughs> funny how things change quickly, isn't it? You sort of put these things in place and all of a sudden, you know, Tim's now pastoring the church and I'm leading the missions, but it's not supposed to happen another six months. <laughs> but um, but what, what, what I'm wanting to do is this. I'm wanting to be able to quantify and qualify every opportunity that we currently have on the, on the field, right, in, in overseas locations. How we can grow that. What opportunities there are currently on the field. Um, what opportunities there may be in, in strategic partners that, that, that may be on the field. Bring the whole thing together, sit down and talk with, with pastors and find out what God's placed on you. And then see how can we, where that would this, where we could then release that somewhere on the globe, and see what's in your heart manifest in somewhere on the globe, because we we all bring something to the table, right? You're, I'm going to talk about more this more about this in the next session. I think you'll like it, but we all bring something to the table, and you've got to bring what God's placed in your heart to to the international table, right? This isn't just for you. This just isn't for us. This just isn't for Gladstone. This just isn't for the Hewitts. This has got to be for the world. That's the way God thinks. For God so loved the right. 
So God's placed something in you for the world. You all know the Great Commission. You all know Matthew 28, right? The nations of the world. And so I, I, I want to I, I talk with you. I want to hear you. I want to find out what's in you. And then I want to be a partner with you on, and how we can release that and, and have a whole bunch of what's going on, a whole bunch of what could be going on, and a whole bunch of what's, what, what is going on just to the uh, left and right of us that we might be able to expand and bring into us. I'll tell you another conviction I have whilst I'm waxing eloquent here. Uh, <laughs> um, and this is a genuine conviction I have. I honestly believe, Pastor, you need to hear me. I honestly believe that God has placed resources in your church for the nations that if you don't release to the nations, will, will, will be lost on the kingdom of this world. So, so what you, you have an obligation, a responsibility before God to come up with a strategy to channel the resources that aren't in your bank account and they're not even necessarily in your offerings on Sunday, but they're in your church. Right? There, there, there are people in your church who would release money that they were going to spend on a new car or on a holiday to the nations if you gave them the capacity to do so, if you had a system that allowed them to do so. And so I, I also want to help and be part of that conversation too with you and your church. It says, okay, how are we doing that? Can we streamline that? Can, can we make that better? Because what we don't want to do, what you and I don't want to do, is we don't want to see funds that God had placed in the kingdom, right? In other words, into the pockets of people in your church for the nations be lost in time zone, you know, or be lost on a new pair of shoes or on a suit or whatever. Uh, something that will perish, wood, hay and stubble, something that will perish in a few years as opposed to something that will, be, will live for generations to generations to generations. And, and, and I'm convinced that, that, that there is money in the Church of Australia that's not, that was God has placed there for the nations that's not going there. And what we need to do is just have an open and honest discussion. So that's going to be my job for this next 10 years, basically, to sit down and help every pastor in our nation answer those two questions. Number one, what's God placed on my life for the nations? And number two, what resources are sitting in, in my, um, uh, ch in my, king in my, my uh, uh, church, in the kingdom in my church, that are kingdom resources for the nations that aren't being funneled there? And how do we do that? So uh, that's my passion. That's what God has spoken to me about. And that's why, um, you know, that's w one of the reasons why we've done what we've done. Uh, not the least of which, there was another reason too. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely, um, absolutely convinced of the next generation. And uh, I'm very thankful that I've been able to lead this movement for 10 years. And I'll tell you why I've been able to lead this movement for the last decade. Because someone gave me the keys to the car when I was 32 years of age. Right, when I was leading the church when I was 32 years of age, I mean, I had to deal with issues and, you know, carry the, the, the burden of that and the mantle of that for, for a decade or more, for 18 years or, or whatever it was, before I was given the movement, right? But I wouldn't have been ready had I not been given that. And what we need is a whole bunch of guys in their 30s right now who have got the mantle of leadership so that they'll be ready to take this movement on, not from the generation that follows me, but from the generation that follows them. And, uh, and so we're, we're going to have to have guys, you know, in our sort of era, making sure that this happens because we need godly leadership. You know, I, I'm, sick of, I'm sick of seeing, you know, guys falling over who are, who are kind of right behind me. 
and, and they're not there. They were there and they're not there today. You know, that, that, this is breaking my heart. Um, and uh, one of the ways to make sure they're there, of course, is to guide them and to, to, to encourage them and, and do the best we can. So that's what we're about. That's what we're doing. And if these decisions are coming from a place of faith and love, then we're moving into what God has got for us together. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Let's stand up. We're going to pray. Father God, we thank you for one another. We thank you for where you've brought us to. Right now, Lord, I sense that we are at a, a very um, poignant moment in terms of our history. As a movement, uh, Lord, our uh, history as a nation in terms of your kingdom. Father God, I pray that as we take steps forward, Lord, that we would not take steps that are coming from a place of self-protection, that are coming from a place of uh, advancing my agenda, building my name. But Lord, we're coming from a place of faith in you and love for this world. So God, I pray for everybody right now, Lord, who in this, this, this room, who is facing difficulties, they're, they're facing a crossroad, wondering which way to go. Lord, I pray that they would be able to crystallize faith and love in their decisions in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you, James. Have a little break. Brilliant. That was good. Thank you, John. Thanks, mate. Hey, we've got about four or five minutes. I'll grab a